Nathan with his science beard. It's getting quite strokeable now. Yeah. It's unfortunately getting quite grabbable if you should happen to be, for example, 11 kilos and off balance. (laughs) (laughs) But Nathan's beard status is a lot. (laughs) Did you just try and put a hairband in it? Yeah, I did. Not a Viking warrior yet. (laughs) No braids. Awesome sort of pretentious footballist. (laughs) Footballist. I think it's full Bortieu. I think you've now got more hair on your chin than you have on the top of your head. Well, they were cut at about the same time, so it should be pretty equal. (laughs) (laughs) This is how professional I've been this week. Here's my notes. Here's a curry stain. (laughs) That's what they're on the back of. On the back of a packet of 74% cocoa Tesco's chocolate. Which I didn't even eat. (laughs) Other brands of dark chocolate are available. I didn't make notes, mainly because I only finished watching the film half an hour ago. I'm more like 15 minutes. That's a turn up for the books, wasn't it? Not often I'm the most prepared. I kept trying to watch it at night and then managed to keep falling asleep halfway through. You're always the most prepared when it comes to notes, even (laughs) if you're the last person to watch the film. I'd like to point out my falling asleep in the film wasn't an indictment on how much I enjoyed the film. I was just knackered. This week's episode of Remedial Nerding, the podcast where three nerds force each other to watch something that they really should have already seen. Your friendly neighbourhood nerds this week are Nathan, Dan and me, Paul. Remember, there's no such thing as a bad nerd. Double check episode number 25 was Mad Max, 26. That means we're on 27. Nearly the big three are. Well, this is the big three to the power of three. (laughs) I've got to suck myself back up now. Yeah, I'm sorry. Shut up. (laughs) Welcome to episode 27 of Remedial Nerding. Back to Ghostbusters. Well, unsurprisingly, Ghostbusters 2. I wonder if the same person came up with the uh, the naming for Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 as did the Alien and Alien 3. That's because they couldn't really call it Ghostbusters. Doesn't doesn't really work. Ghostbusters. (laughs) Ghostbusters Return. Ghostbusters 2 Fury Road? I've missed, I've fucked that one up. <laughs> you really did. <laughs> Might cut that out, I fucked it up so badly. <laughs> no, that stays in. When you edit the podcast, Dan, you can decide what stays in. <laughs> Anywho. So, who hadn't seen this one? Because I had. Oh, I had. I think this could be the same as last time. So, it was just Nathan that... Yeah. Did you feel that as much had seeped from this film had seeped into popular culture as the first one because you said you felt you knew quite a few of the the larger memes from the first one like the stay puff marshmallow man and who you're gonna call yeah i mean a lot of that just carries over because it was a pretty faithful sequel and this wasn't a mad max 2 situation (laughs) or an alien situation for that matter it wasn't a retcon (laughs) yeah i'm trying to think if there's anything in there i particularly knew about because in one, I felt like I knew the general plot, like I knew Zool was involved somehow. Mm. But I did not know that in this case. The villain was entirely new to me. That number two had a much more fleshed out storyline. But 
it wasn't as referenceable as the first one. There weren't quite as many sort of one-linery bits yeah. in it. And you didn't have a bit like the, the self-cooking eggs and stuff like that. Mm. But I think the film as a whole actually was probably a bit more enjoyable. I think, And I think that's because it's got more of a, a definite story arc to it. And I quite like the way they reference back to what's happened in the last five years. Yeah, that quick little setup of what they're all now doing with their lives. Yeah, without going through a well, previously on Ghostbusters and yeah. going through it all with like a holy scrolling wall of text, Batman. <laughs> well, in watching the first Ghostbusters, the first half hour, I wasn't particularly enjoying it, mostly because I thought that all the heroes were villains and vice versa. <laughs> but in this one, the the very first thing that happens is a big smash cut from nothing that says five years pre- later, and I appreciated that. <laughs> it's almost as though you are intended to watch them back to back. Yeah. Yeah. So it's five years later. Venkman is still a douchebag out to kind of manipulate people. Ray owns an occult bookstore. Egon's gone back to... Um, science. Gone back to science. Doesn't explain what Winston's done other than do kids' parties with Ray as the Ghostbusters. Really, really bad kids' parties. Right, it turns out that ghostbusting is a like seasonal occupation, I guess. <laughs> it is once you've been shut down by the city and you've got a court order saying don't bust ghosts no more. <laughs> well, it wasn't it also implied that there just haven't been that many ghosts in, since the last mass intrusion of Supernatural. Yeah, the whole point was that the... Uh, the supernatural power of Zool was allowing all the other ghosts to come back. Mm. Or um, Gozo, rather. That and the fact that they had they had blown up the top three floors of a downtown skyscraper, caused a shitload of damage, and then got stiffed by every government agency known to man, and then hung out to dry. I do like that um, it actually addresses the consequences of the previous film, which generally action comedies do not... So like, ah, I'll be fine. Everybody needs a scapegoat. Have you ever heard of a game called um, Viscera Cleanup Detail? <laughs> no. Only in that I got an email about it from Humble Bundle this afternoon. All oh, right. Well, it, yeah, it's quite popular in the indie circles because it's got a, a different premise than usual, which is that it is a game that takes place immediately after a science fiction survival horror game. <laughs> so your job is to get all the rooms clean again. Yeah, start with equipped with a mop and a splosh-o-matic. <laughs> You've got to manage your buckets. Apparently it's a very peaceful game. So it's kind of like Papers, Please, when it, you were literally doing someone's day job. Papers, Please is not as an experience. <laughs> once you get it down, it is. Now you, once you've organised your desk and you've prioritised your workflow, it's a fantastic experience, what you're talking about. <laughs> I wouldn't describe any job as then if there's a chance that someone might jump the fence and lob a grenade at you. <laughs> That's why they give you a gun. That's why they give you a gun and a key for the gun locker, which you then put somewhere on the desk and bury under a load of papers. So <laughs> <laughs> I quite like the look of a game called Human Resource Machine on iOS at the moment. Yeah, that looks sort of part. Yeah, it's like a little office simulator where you program your minions to kind of file and sort post. It was actually quite a clever way of getting people into programming. Yeah. That is all a complete tangent. Yeah. It is a massive tangent. Don't even remember what it started. Oh yeah, consequences from the previous Consequences. (laughs) Yeah, something I wrote down was powerful reversion to status quo. Yeah. It seems like one of the supernatural forces in this universe is driving everything back towards the state of affairs where 
Well, firstly, that it's the Ghostbusters are poor. And secondly, the fact that they have established definitively that life beyond death exists does not really change the world. So as soon as like the first film is over, everyone goes, let's all agree that didn't happen. I think it kind of implies that they were written off as charlatans and shams and it was all their fault. So it probably got a large percentage of the population just thinking they are full of shit, as eloquently put by the, like, I'm going to say 12-year-old kid, but I'm not entirely sure how old that kid was meant to be at the party. Yeah, the older, more cynical, more jaded one. Yeah, the one that literally comes out and says, my dad says you guys are full of shit. <laughs> Using up their quote early on in the movie. Yeah, what was the um, certificate on this? PG, yeah, I think. Yeah, I yeah. think it was PG again. I can't imagine, because there was a hell of a less of the weird sexuality in this. Yeah, there was. <laughs> and, it, and I would also say it was less, well, apart from in one specific way, which I'm sure we'll get to, generally less horrifying and more, oh, slime, how gross. Yeah, when the slime came out of the bath, it was a, maybe a little bit phallic. Mm. It wasn't Egon referring to his epididymis as the horrific <laughs> bit then. Fortunately, I'm not well educated enough to be horrified by that. I just assumed it was a fancy word for dick. Wait, you're not well-educated enough to be horrified by that? Do you not know what an epididymis is? Nope, not a clue. But it's, it's the bit inside your ball sack that basically connects your testes with the uh, the rest of the plumbing. I thought that was the van deference. I was trying to unlock the phone to Wikipedia right in the time, but my thumbprint has changed <laughs> from yesterday. <laughs> Baby sick. It'll do that. <laughs> oh no, sorry. It's, it's a tube that connects the testicle to a vas deferens. So it's the bit in between the two. Was it when... Egon wanted to conduct gynecological tests on the mother. We've been talking a lot about genital anatomy in this. <laughs> yeah, I think I might cut that. I think that's. Uh, I think it's bit... vitally important. We are no, it's not. Service here. The more you know. Da, 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 da. This week, it's learn your body with remedial nerding. <laughs> Starting with the epididymis. It's not the cranium. That's all we really know from this film. Where the fuck were we this time? <laughs> I think I was with most of the population that just went, I don't know what that is, but given the reference, I'm going to assume it's his dick. <laughs> so what was the horrifying part? Since we're, it's obviously not either of those two bits. Uh, well, people who follow our Facebook feed already know. That's what, exactly what I was going to say. Conversation on our Facebook chat to me and Nathan. Infants in peril, man. Infants in peril. <laughs> Infants in peril. So as both me and Dan are, as far as we know, childless, it kind of brushes <laughs> over us a bit. So the, the baby in the runaway carriage was a bit much for you at the start of this movie then, Nath? Uh, that's the first time I turned it off, yeah. <laughs> the runaway carriage is obviously being steered by something. Yeah, those well, wheels yes. are very well articulated later on. It is obviously being steered, but then this is in a film where there could be an unseen force steering it maliciously. <laughs> so that's not really a comfort. But you don't know it's malicious. I mean, it's probably going to be, but you don't know that. It's just stealing babies. I've prepared two notes here. One is for you guys to think about how horrifying the film would have been, how like what the tone shift would have been if at one point like Ray woke up in bed and his legs were gone. But then you ask any parent, like, would you swap your legs to save your child? And you're like, well, it sucks that I'm not going to have legs anymore, I guess. But that's not really a question. Well, it's not really a decision. <laughs> True. So... What I'm saying is, it would have been as horrifying as if a ghost had come in through the window and taken his legs away. Admittedly, you would get them back at the end of the film, I guess, in this analogy, but even so. So, second horrifying part would have been baby walking out of window onto ledge overlooking the city and being snatched by ghost nanny McPhee. By Dracula. 
Mary Poppins-esque evil man. I may have done something a little bit along those lines when I was about five. What, got abducted by a, a ghost man in a Mary Poppins outfit? Well, no, but gone for a wander on the outside windowsill of my bedroom on the first floor. <laughs> I was really, really, really hot and climbed into the window to cool down and then went for a walk on the, on the windowsill. <laughs> As you do. Let's get this shit out of the babysitter, I can tell you that. <laughs> Changing tack slightly... One thing that I thought of this is quite a few people, it's like, ah, oh, it's that guy. Yeah, um, whose name I had to look up because uh, I was watching it with Dan, and she went, I know him, what's he from? And I went, yeah, it's that guy from Annie McBill. She went, I don't know what that is. What else is he? And it's like, um, shit. Um, yeah, I'm not sure which that guy you're talking about. That that guy is Peter McNichol that we were talking about in the, yeah. the intro to this series. So, yeah, Janosch, who was a super creepy character. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I was thinking more of the bit characters, two of them in particular. One was a very small bit. He was the male guest on Peter's yes. show. He plays uh, Lieutenant Commander Harry Block in Hot Shots. Yeah, no, I'd seen him as well, yeah. And the other one is the mayor's aide. Yeah, there was yes. one of the aides in the mayor's office that I said, who's that guy, and then couldn't think of enough to describe He's who he that guy from Wayne's World. He's the one that works in the TV studio. Have we discussed Wayne's World in every episode for a month now? Pretty much. That was the the one that had them committed, yeah? Yes. The guy, when they're sat in the office and the guy leans over, hands him a picture and goes, there's this pink shell thing over the Manhattan Museum of Art. He was another one that you're like, I know him. Um, and I know him as the guy from The Mask that had the mask in his office. He was like the psychiatrist. And he's been in some other things as well. I don't get either of those references, but I recognise someone who was later in the West Wing. <laughs> Would you like to guess something that I've never seen? West, the West Wing? Wing. Season 6. I've never seen it either. Definitely not in our remit. Definitely your type of programme though, Nathan. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure where. A, it is not entirely what you'd term nerd culture. B, I've never heard anyone quoted ever. And C, it's like 160 hours. Eventually, we're going to have to do a season where it's like, okay, these are films all three of us have seen. Because they are films that you should all have seen. And if you haven't, this is your chance. Just so we can get some really good films in. I feel like we're doing this film a disservice by keep going off on tangents. Because I I really enjoyed it. It was actually it a pretty a really solid film. Yeah. This, after watching this, because I, I had the same anxiety that I got when we were going to watch Beyond Thunderdome. It's like, well, they made this film and then left it alone for 30 years. Well, there's a good reason that they left it alone. It was kind of... I finished off a good film and didn't need following up. That's probably because they originally wanted to make Ghostbusters 1 a standalone film and they forced them to make the second one. Yeah, in some ways I can see why it would have been good as a single film, but I also didn't think it couldn't have had a third or fourth. Like, I really like Back to the Future, but at the end of Back to the Future 3, you don't need another one. And I really like Hmm. Indiana Jones, but at the end of Indiana Jones 3, you don't need another one. But they made one anyway. No, they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> whereas in this I could imagine a, a Ghostbusters 3 or 4 which I guess in the end just got recycled into the animated the series, series or yeah. things like that so would you say that this is one of those ones where the sequel is better than the original I think the sequel is more of the original like if we did just watch them back to back I would have said wow this was an exceptionally long film <laughs> but I wouldn't have noticed the join there was a bit of a step up in visual effects in the five year gap it was actually a five-year gap, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, that, when I, although I said I didn't notice the gap, the first one did feel exceptionally 80s, and to me this felt exceptionally early 90s, even though I think it was actually... 
technically late 80s, wasn't it? The 82 and 87, I thought. I thought it was 84 and 89. Well, two years out. And there was a lot of fluorescent clothing and tall hair and talk rapping. Yeah, yeah, it's very early 90s. Although something I've apparently learnt about the late 80s, early 90s, New York was not considered an amazing place then, apparently. We're <laughs> <laughs> constantly talking about how, how run down and dirty hole. New York is. Yeah, exactly. It's like, why aren't you in California? So I guess this was immediately before the like 90s economic boom that suddenly made New York cost 50 times as much as it previously had. Yeah. I'm sure the New York Tourism Board loved that movie for just that reason. <laughs> Come to the Big Apple, it's a shithole. There was definitely a lot more money went into the special effects, like when they uh, dangled Ray on his wire down into the uh, yeah. the tunnel of slime. Tunnel of slime was uh, was good. And the tentacles of slime actually are a bit reminiscent of the tentacles of water from The Abyss. That's a film I've not seen. Oh my god. Take like four hours out of your time and go watch the director's cut of The Abyss. I also haven't seen The Abyss, but I don't think I've got four hours for anything. Oh, it, it's a brilliant film. It was really, really good. I think I may have been in the room whilst it was being watched when I was very much younger, but I'll have to add that to my own personal list. I can't believe I managed to find a film that I've seen that you haven't done. I know. Add it to the spreadsheet. Ah, having said that, The Abyss was also from 1989. By any chance, did they did they remake it terribly? No, I don't think it's been remade terribly. I'm on the lookout for classic films followed by terrible remakes. This is another terrible, terrible tangent, but uh, <laughs> there are some fantastic. Yeah, it's got Ed Harris, Mary Elizabeth Mastrian, Mast- Mastrantiono. God, that's a horrible surname to try and pronounce. It's an awesome film. Watch it. Can I tell you two things I liked about the film, especially Go for it. that I felt moved to write down? One is that, like in the first film, it includes what I think of as the Ghostbusters franchise distilled to a 15-second slot. In the advert. In the advert, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was like, if you want the whole of Ghostbusters just condensed down into something you can watch on Vine, it's <laughs> four guys badly delivering lines into a public access television saying, do you have a ghost problem? We can fix it. <laughs> Especially like that, even though there are apparently millionaires at, this, at the height of their fame and power. They've still got the other people in the office to do the acting. <laughs> Only one balloon per family as well. Yeah. I did like the uh, the inclusion of Lewis in it as well. His delivery in the courtroom was hilarious. When you think he's building up to something, building up something, and then he just goes and sits back down. Yeah, Rick Moranis' character, he was um, kind of a... Well, no, I was about to say he was a minor character, but he wasn't really. He was... Involved throughout he was, the first film. He was a second string main character yeah. in the first movie. I think a bit of light comic relief that just worked really well. And like I say, you're glad that his character is brought back into this one because he does kind of serve a similar role. I think he is actually my second favourite character. Oh, who's your first favourite character? I've got my top three. Actually, do you guys want to deliver your top three? I know top three is a bit mean when there's four main protagonists, but... <laughs> you can just... Favourite, if you like. As I'm sure this was discussed a million times on the playgrounds of the early 90s. <laughs> yeah. I want to be Venkman. No, you be Ray. Got Ray, or as I've written down, Ray brackets, baby substitute. <laughs> yes, baby uh, substitute. If you can't possess a baby, next best thing is Ray. <laughs> <laughs> it would probably have to be Ray, Egon, and then Pete. 
I think for me, it would probably be, I don't know. I really like Ray. He's such a funny character, such a fun character. I like Egon. But I quite like Janosch because he's just fucking mental. <laughs> yeah, he's very distinctive. Yeah, the portrayal of him is just like high camp, sort of barely decipherable, random accent. He's just so funny. The bit where he turns up at um, Dana's apartment, it's like, oh, can Woo-hoo. I come in? And she, she, she just goes, no. <laughs> it's, like, it's like kicking a puppy. Yeah, he does deliver every line through a massive ingratiating grin. Yeah, my top three I wrote down were three, Egon, two, Lewis, one, Janine. <laughs> I don't know why she just reminds me a little bit of Velma from uh, Scooby-Doo. It's, it's just the hair. Is that all it is? The hair and the glasses. Bob and glasses, that's what it is. She's got kind of the whole New York accent slash no time for anyone shit about her. Yeah, the extremely flat affect. Her character had changed a lot since the first movie in the character's look. Yeah, she got a style makeover. One of my favourite moments of the film was in the courtroom as they're firing up the proton packs and it's the do Ray egon and then that little <laughs> <Yeah>. look. <laughs> and it's like, I really I wanted to find out if that had been planned or if the reactions from the other guys looking at him and that little sly smile was just completely ad-libbed. It was brilliant. I think that would... It's either going to be completely ad-libbed or it's something... If it wasn't ad-libbed, it's something he came up with ages ago and just been waiting to use. <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel a bit sad that that's one of my favourite points of that film, but it was just so brilliantly delivered. Yeah. Yeah, it is clear that these people were all um, skilled comedians. When we're talking about Ghostbusters as the 15-second slot, I can definitely see that being the image they had in their mind. As they were writing it. Yeah, exactly, before they then started doing a a massive weird plot tree that involved time travel and space adventures, (laughs) and then scrapping it all to come back to the New York plan. Yeah, this is such a New York film. It is a very New York film. Even down to the Statue of Liberty being the hero. (laughs) Have you listened to this week's No Such Thing as a Fish Nation? Uh, No, not this week's. I'm like two or three weeks behind. Uh, there was a, a specific mention of New York and the steam that's always portrayed as coming up through the vents. Oh, right. Without wanting to steal their thunder, like New York has a massive municipal domestic steam generation system, which is piped all the way apartment blocks that can then be used locally for powering air conditioning, steam cleaning, um, heating and stuff like that. So when you see steam coming up from the vents on the street, it is actually steam from this system being vented out of like pressure relief valves. Yeah, I'd heard that before. It was this weird turn of the century thing that New York had like running water, electricity, and also on tap steam in case you need loads of steam for some reason. <laughs> Actually, you do get that today, and um, I think Sweden in particular is quite fond of it because they have a on lot of tap uh, steam. Yeah, because they have a lot of um, cities built around a power plant that then just dumps all its excess heat to everyone's houses. Efficient. Just remembered. Uh... One of my other favourite bits of the film is when the uh, psychomagnetic slime starts to rise up from the uh, the sewers, and the woman with the mink coat steps into <laughs> it, and then the mink just goes pops out of it, and like, as she throws it on the floor, and off it scuttles. <laughs> the Titanic turning up, and the guy on the dock's like, "Well, better late than never." <laughs> oh, yeah, something that reminded me of the first film is like last week I said. 
it's good that they managed to get the interwar period in because what's a good ghost story without the 1920s involved? <laughs> and the version of that this week is um, what's a good ghost story without Transylvania being involved? I don't literally call it Transylvania, but that's the region they're describing when he says Carpathia and Moldova. Carpathia. Carpathia, Moldova. I mean, Moldova is somewhere different but adjacent, and Carpathia is Transylvania plus some ad- adjacent regions. Which did make me write down, is that racist towards Carpathians at the very end? <laughs> the more you know. Carpathians are actual people. I mean, this isn't like Tuscan Raiders when Tuscans are actual people who just live in northern Italy. <laughs> <laughs> they walk in single file and have excellent wine, that kind of thing. In this case, he's actually literally referring to people from the part of the world you come from. If there hasn't been a bank robbery in Tuscany, and it's been reported <laughs> in newspaper, if they haven't used the line Tuscan Raiders, they have missed out. I'm sure there's you know medieval history books or something that refer to Tuscan Raiders for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Tuscan Raiders and the, uh, the Bordeaux Bandits. Sound like two really low-league ice hockey teams. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of the, the villain in this one compared to the original? He was more menacing... But kind of did quite a lot less. Hmm. Didn't exactly blow up half a city in this one. No, it was a little bit cheesy that it took the uh, the New Yorkers singing Old Lang Syne together to weaken him enough that they could defeat him. Until he decided to do, try to possess Baby Ray. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a, a weird theme that it was um, defeated by the power of community spirit. <laughs> In a city where it's every New Yorker's good God-given right to be an asshole to each other. It's that message of brotherly love. I'm, I'm eager to know what Paul's looking up now. <laughs> I, I was actually just looking at the cast and just to see if I could. If there's anyone else that was a named cast member that I'd forgotten about. I just wanted to see if Ron Jeremy was there again. Oh, apparently the dialogue for uh, Vigo was uh, dubbed by Max von Sydow. Oh, really? Which I did not pick up at all. That's uh, unfortunate in a way that they've said, we need someone with a European accent. Transylvanian? Well, Swedish will do. Oh, this is didn't go for like Christopher Lee or something like that. I was a bit disconcerted when um, the guy was playing, what was his name? Janos. Yeah. Came up at the end and his name is like Patrick McWhitey or something. Peter McNichol. There you go. <laughs> Patrick McWhitey. I'm being racist wow. against white people, but <laughs> I genuinely thought he was Eastern European. Is that like a Paddy McGeneric Irishman and a Jock McScotsman? Yeah. And Taff McWelshie. You mean David Taff? <laughs> David Taff. It's got to give some credit to his acting ability, though, if you genuinely thought he was Eastern European. That's true. Well, we've already said we're, like, we're suitably creeped out by him at all times, so... Yeah. Wait, are you saying that Eastern Europeans are creepy? Nathan, you racist. <laughs> I do feel sorry for Sigourney Weaver's character because throughout both films she's been trying to politely tell men to get lost. Admittedly, most of the time it's Venkman, yeah. As it was pointed out when I had to explain what her connection was to the Ghostbusters and what went on in the first movie, the comment of, she's just really fucking unlucky <laughs> came along. There's no luck with the paranormal whatsoever. Yeah, that's true, actually. There's no Constantly particular reason. Constantly in the it's wrong place at the wrong time. So, oh, you, you live in a building that's made out of ghostium, I guess. I mean, they said selenium, but it was basically ghostium. And then, second film, you happen to work in the place that's just 
coincidentally handling the haunted painting. Haunted painting. And you have a baby that he needs to steal. You are the MacGuffin. So thinking about it a bit more, actually, I kind of find found Peter even more creepy in terms of his relationship with Dana than I did in the first one. Because in the first one, he was just trying to, trying to trap her. Mm. But in this one, they'd obviously had a relationship, gone their separate ways. She then got married, had a baby, got divorced. So then he wanted to try again, invited her around to his house to keep her out of the flat. And then it was like, well, I want you here and I want a relationship, but God damn it, stop picking my shirts up off the floor. <laughs> well, can't have your cake and eat it. Yeah, there was a surprising amount of late 80s, early 90s, take my wife, please style jokes in this. Are you two intending to go and see the Ghostbusters 2016? Yes. Incident? Yes, I am. I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm really curious to know if it will be shared continuity or if it's just in an alternate timeline where the original Ghostbusters never existed. Yeah, I've not heard which way it's going. I kind of assumed it was going to be a reboot. Hmm. I mean, we say all this, It's the original episode is going to come out. What is it, the week that the film comes out? Uh, and the episode will be out on the Monday, and the film should be out on the Thursday or Friday that week. Okay, so only only Dan will have watched it by the time the episode goes out, the three of us probably. <laughs> well, no, because Remedial Learning's out first. Oh, sorry, okay. Next week, um, at the start of the episode, you can ask me, how was the new Ghostbusters? And I'll go, yeah, it was brilliant, I really loved it. <laughs> Except that we'll be recording that podcast next week, and it'll still be a month before the film comes out. Yeah, but for continuity, it will sound awesome. <laughs> We just record both and then uh, delete us on the release date. I love the part where dot 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 the proton packs were cool. Ecto one was awesome. It's like the um, the one of the few details I know about the Walking Dead mythology, other than the game, because the game's the only part of that that I've engaged with. Anyway, part of the mythology of that is that there was never a film called Night of the Living Dead. So they, they don't know about zombies. Yeah, the word zombie has not, never been applied to the undead. Anything. So, which is why everyone is not constantly saying it's so weird that this popular figure from pop mythology actually turned out to be true. It's like the what's it, Watchmen not having comic book superheroes, so everyone's really into pirates. Yeah, exactly. Arr. Well, Dan going to see the reboot, remake, relaunch, reimagining of Ghostbusters aside. Next week... Out to the Far East, bit of Japanese culture. I had actually forgotten that was next on the, the list. So which one are we watching? Yeah, what's the first one? The first one is Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Oh, I did enjoy Nausicaa. I enjoyed it as well, although it has been quite some time since I watched it. Mm. But this is another another 1984 film. I didn't realise it was that old, actually. Yeah, it should be good. It was very enjoyable. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think you will, Nathan. I know you said you haven't watched much slash any anime. No. But the Studio Ghibli are very well crafted. They're well put together. They're well dubbed into English as well. So what fraction of this like next string of like five, I think it is? Have you seen two of them, was it? Yeah, I've seen two of them. Okay. I've seen two. And I think it's the same, the same two that we've seen. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to know if they're... Because my understanding is that Norsker is science fiction fantasy kind of genre. I'm curious to know if that's true of all of them. Dan, are you reenacting the Matrix into my <laughs> webcam? <laughs> Nausicaa's science fiction, um, Spirited Away, obviously coming up, is very much fantasy. And I think the others, I mean, one's called Howl's Moving Castle, which I'm pretty sure is fantasy. 
about the only picture I've seen it is it's like a castle on a cloud. No limb is pun intended. Princess Mononoke, I have no idea about. But it's got the word princess in the title. Yeah. Yeah, I'd assume fantasy for that one. Um, and the other one is Porco Rosso, which I think might be about a person that gets turned into a pig. I'm not entirely sure. But I guess we'll find out in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah. So until then... I had nothing. I was expecting... <laughs> and, 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 until then, you can sit in silence. <laughs> until then, to the Valley of the Wind. <laughs> is that a thing? You guys go and look at your DVD box and tell me if that's a thing I've correctly remembered. Kind of works. Well, the, the name is Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. In that case, I'm claiming it. <laughs> Tick. It's one, for, it's one thing Nathan got right for a change. <laughs> question is on we're looking back at this what did nathan get wrong technically correct the best kind of correct <laughs> <laughs> that's it for this week peeps tune in next time for more remedial nerding